Hey guys, welcome back to the Business of Freelancing podcast, where we help you get better clients, make more money, and live an overall happier life freelancing. I'm Brendan Dunn, I'm your host, and today is episode number 11 of the podcast. I'm really excited about today because I just wrapped up a great interview with uh, Marcus Blankenship. Uh, Marcus runs a company in uh, Klamath Falls, Oregon called Creo Agency. And why I wanted to bring them on and or bring him on and why I, I think that a lot of you are going to find this to be a really interesting episode is that his town has literally 17,000 people who live there. And he has, 11, you know, he's had up to 11 employees for his company. 90 plus percent of his clients are remote, um, you know, at least five hours by car away from Klamath Falls. And he's been able to build up this great company from literally the middle of nowhere. So if you've ever written me or, or questioned, you know, how can I get started? I'm in, you know, Kalamazoo, middle of nowhere. Um, it, do I need to move? Do I need to go out west? Do I need to go to New York? Um, I think you're going to really enjoy this, this discussion. So uh, without further ado, here's Marcus. Hey, welcome. Uh, so I'm here with Marcus Blankenship. Um, and Marcus is a member of the consultancy masterclass and we met, I think, um, where do we meet? I think you 30 signed by up for 500, I think. Yeah. 30 by 500. And then I think you were one of my original like agency grade plan scope accounts that tried it out for a bit. Oh, that's and, right. And I bought your book and yeah. So, you know, you kind of went through the hopper. So basically um, I gave you money. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> and it's all been worth it. I just want to plug that. Awesome. Well, I'm happy to hear that. That's that's why I do it. So, um, so Marcus, I just want to kind of introduce who you are and why I wanted to bring you on the show. So, Marcus uh, lives and works in, what, Kalamath Falls, Oregon, I think? Klamath Falls, Oregon. Klamath Falls. Okay. Good job. And, uh, yeah. and he runs a consulting firm. Um, out of Klamath Falls. And I think you said you're at, what, 11 full-time employees? Uh, we're down a little bit. We had been at 11 at the end of last year. We're down to about seven. Now. Okay, so, so seven, seven employees, yep. and you still have a pool of subcontractors. That you oh, absolutely. With. Great. Um, but what's really interesting that I want to talk about today is the fact that most, you, I think you said 90% of your clients are not in Klamath Falls or close to Klamath Falls. That's um, right. So I think what what I'd like to really talk about is First off, how you were able to uh, recruit clients who aren't by you, and secondly, how you um, you know how you handle day to day getting stuff done with clients who are uh, remote. I mean, when I so when I ran uh, my consulting company, I was kind of in the same position. We had a we had more local clients, but a lot of them were West Coast, and we were on the East Coast, and um, you know we even had some international clients. And I uh, you know I have my thoughts on that, and I've talked about it pretty extensively, and some of my work, but, um, I'd love to hear your story and how you got started, how you found, um, you know, how you, how you built your company, uh, remotely. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah, the, the question of how do you get clients? Um, first of all, we started and we really thought we were going to get a lot of local clients and, uh, we priced ourselves with local price points. And we, I literally one day walked up and down main street, sort of walking into each business, handing out business cards. And, um, I had a hypothesis about what people would want. And really quickly, I found that my hypothesis about what they, what business, local business owners would care about was, was wrong. And that the reality was I wasn't going to be able to have any kind of uh, sustainable business 
just from our local economy. Uh, the local economy in Klamath Falls is primarily agricultural-based. It's a forestry-based uh, 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 economy. And um, we've had, you know, 18% unemployment over the last couple of years. So there wasn't going to – it did dawn on me after about six months that it wasn't just going to be here. Um, and in the same way, I think, Brennan, that – you talk uh, in the master class and other places about how you get clients. It really is all about relationship. And so I, I literally have a graph that I have hung on my wall of how we've acquired every client um, that we've ever gotten. And, and frankly, every one of them has come through referral and word of mouth. Um, even though we're in a very small town, we live in a, an age, as everybody knows, where the Internet uh, is huge. And um, we haven't gotten a lot through social media, but frankly, what we've done is we've tried to do really good work, and we've tried to uh, ask people for referrals. And that that referral piece has really been the key to our success. It's been the only marketing for us that's been workable and sustainable. Um, so how do we get clients? Probably very similarly to people who are in a big city. Um, it's, it's about word of mouth and it's about, um, making yourself available to talk and to help people, uh, without worrying about what you're going to get in return. So did you, I mean, you're close to, I, I imagine Portland and San Francisco and places. Actually, like that. we're five hours each way. So oh, we're right. Okay. Yeah. Well, you're closer than I was to Portland. And San yes, that's true. Um, so, I mean, would you, would you go to these kind of tech hotspots and do on the ground networking and, and relationship building? Or did you do that all, you know, over the internet or over Skype or the phone? There is a phrase that someone told me uh, about two years into our business that was, you must be present to win. And their hypothesis was you're meeting people in person is going to do much more for getting clients and referrals than just do, using social media. And we found that really to be true. Um, and that comes in a couple of ways, I think. One, we do try and attend meetups in Portland or, uh, for example, we went to the AWS conference in San Francisco. We've gone to GDC. Um, and everywhere we go, we're, we're handing out business cards because we don't want to let one of those opportunities go by where we haven't made a connection. And I realize business cards are old school, but the point is, is we're talking to people. We're doing a lot of asking them questions about what's frustrating them and trying to engage them in meaningful conversations. Um, the second part of that is uh, the phrase, you must be present to win, is that whenever we onboard a new client, we insist upon uh, meeting them face-to-face. -face. So just last week, we were down in San Francisco uh, onboarding a new client, and we were down there for three days. And it's baked into part of the cost and part of the process because if you don't establish a good relationship up front, um, you're going to have a really difficult time carrying through those inevitable difficult parts of the relationship that happened on week six and week eight and week 15. Um, I, I used to believe that what you wanted to try and do was avoid the tough parts of the relationship by just sort of painting everything as rainbows and flowers. And, and now I believe you've got to proactively attack that risk by building relationships and the best way to do that is to start things off in person. And then we actually go down and meet with clients um, in San Francisco about every quarter. And we'll just stop in and take coffee and, and, and talk to them. The goal is that we might be remote, but they shouldn't really care that we're remote. Or they should even think that it's an advantage that we're remote um, from maybe a cost or, or other kinds of advantages. Although uh, we've positioned ourselves so that we're not cheaper than anybody in the big city.
Okay. So just a guess, but I imagine when you, when you meet people, so you, you talked about your lead generation tactic is going to conferences and handing out business cards. I imagine though that uh, I'm 99% certain that you didn't just hand out business cards, that you actually had some sort of strategy for following up and building relationships. Um, I know when I met people at conferences, the ones I stayed in touch with or the ones I ended up doing business with. Yeah. So what, what kind of tips do you have around that? Um, like I was just at the AWS conference and I would walk up to people randomly and uh, AWS is the Amazon Web Services Conference. And the summit in San Francisco was particularly focused around people who weren't yet using AWS. Uh, so I would just, so it was a lot of suits. It wasn't a lot of techies. And that's okay because those are the people that hire us. Those are the ones, yeah, those are your clients. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> so I would walk up to people and at lunch or just in the hallway and say, so are you in the cloud yet? And they would say, Sometimes they would say, yeah, we're there. But most of the time they would say, uh, we're thinking about it. We're not really even sure what to make of all this. Mm -hmm. And they'd say, are you? And I'd say, yeah, we are. But it can be really confusing. You know, do you, I kind of, I, maybe I'm a step ahead of you. Is there any questions I can answer? And they'd say, oh, yeah, what is this RDS thing? And I'd say, oh, you know, that's just your database. And it comes in these flavors. And they're like, oh, okay. And, um, I would essentially just sort of walk up to people and engage them in conversation about the topic of the conference, um, not trying to set myself up as an authority, but more as just somebody who was helpful, was interested in them. Um, and what that led to was a series of uh, relationships by which we then had subsequent discussions and put together proposals, and some of them actually turned into work. Um, so I, I'm pretty fearless when it when I'm down there or, or up in, up in the Portland area to just kind of walk up to people and, and ask them, you know, what's frustrating or, or, Hey, is this working for you? Um, because I, I'm really interested in, in taking that helpful approach, uh, with all of our consulting services. Right. So, I mean, it, it sounds like that what, what, what's really happening is you're delivering value to people before you've asked for anything in exchange. You know, That's a great way to frame it. You're giving them, um, you're teaching them what RDS is, and you're by by the act of teaching, you're establishing yourself as an authority, without saying, "I know everything about X." You know, you're you're proving that you know at least enough. You know more than them, and that's that's kind of the expert dilemma, right? Where you know, I'm I'm a big fan of getting people to teach, and um, a lot of people I think feel like unless they're expert level at a certain technology or topic. They're, it's not right for them to teach, but I would argue that the best the best teachers are the ones who are just enough ahead that they know what it's like to be where you are now. So yeah. you know you you probably did a very good job empathizing with the with the guys in suits and understanding their their concerns and their their needs, and you know that's ultimately how you ended up uh, you know eventually proposing. Uh, consulting services to them. Yeah. I mean, I think the question, would you like some help with that is a pretty powerful one because, uh, everybody wants help. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're right, Brendan. I mean, you don't have to, as we have a saying around here, you don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun your friend. Um, which sort of goes back to that old joke about you and your friend are walking in the woods and you come across the bear. Um, 
you don't, you just have to be ahead of them and be willing to, to help them with some, with something. Uh, and, and I think it's the act of, uh, and, and of course I know that a lot of people talk about this, but it's really selling without selling, right? It's selling by proving value, adding value. And in a lot of cases, frankly, what the thing, the relationships that I have turn into are referrals to other companies. Um, when I meet somebody who needs something specific and it's not what I do, I'm not going to say, Oh yeah, I'll do that and think, how can I go learn that? Um, if it's not something I'm comfortable with, I'll go find them a much better vendor for that, uh, for that problem. And I'll make an introduction. Sometimes they'll come back to me and say, that was great. Can you help me with this other thing? And and I can. I like that you bring that up because that's something that that I kind of stumbled upon by accident when, when I was um, running my consulting company was, you know, we always, just like you, you know, if, if I wasn't we weren't big on WordPress, right? And if somebody needed something that could be easily done in WordPress, um, we weren't looking to sell them a custom Rails blog, you know, platform. Right. And um, that ended up helping us a lot because, you know, I've been studying a lot recently about um, communities and how um, kind of like what the role of somebody who organizes a community is. Because one of the projects I'm kind of working on that'll probably come out later this year is going to be a, um, you know, a, a paid community of, uh, for consultants. And the thing that I learned through this research was that my role or your role in this case with those uh, prospective clients of yours is to be more of a connector instead of a taker. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you can connect people and, and almost like a, you know, an old fashioned switchboard operator where you're plugging them into the right place they need to get to. Um, you, you, you start being seen as somebody who is able to very nicely offer a tremendous amount of value and it ends up, um, creating, you know, positive karma for yourself and you're able to, um, you know, I've had a lot of people who, uh, referred us to other clients that we ended up rejecting, right? So they, we would say, look, you don't want to hire us or, um, you know, we can't help you, but instead of just like letting them wither on the street, we would uh, point them to where we think they should go. Yeah. And then later on, they would end up being a huge referral source for us. So I think, you know, that's a great strategy and it it does work. Yeah. In fact, um, you know, a Harvard Business Review April edition this year had an article that got picked up and I think it was actually repeated in strategy and business. Um, It was called uh, in the company of givers and takers. And, and it talked about organiz- in organizations, the ones that win are not the ones that are takers. The ones that win are the ones that are givers. Mm-hmm. Um, there are parameters around it. And it was primarily talking about larger organizations. But that idea of giving to win, I think, is a theme that isn't – it's been around forever and it's not going away. But it's not obvious, especially uh, to people who are really um, alpha male driven to sell something. Right. I think one of the other things you asked about was handling day-to-day operations, and I'll just touch on that for a minute. When we started, we sort of made the decision really early on, like a lot of companies, of we, we wanted all of our stuff to be in the cloud. And, and it's been pretty expensive, frankly, to get everything in the cloud. But one of our core philosophies was, core philosophies uh, at a company is we wanted to have a work-from-anywhere kind of uh, approach. And that even, even though most of our people are local, we enjoyed working in coffee shops. We enjoyed working uh, from home. And what that did is it set us up really early to, to have to figure out the way 
that we were going to work with employees remotely as well as then customers remotely. Um, so clearly there's a lot of GoToMeeting and Skype and Google Hangout and all kinds of other things. Um, but uh, but the reality is, is I think by embracing the remoteness early and and the fact that we were in a tiny town of 17,000 uh, kind of gave us a leg up when we needed to hire remote resources or, or we found that our clients were really going to be all remote. Right. And I think, it, I, mean, I mean, when you take the whole angle of uh, you being this sort of, uh, I mean, you keep mentioning cloud, right? So, you know, the whole concept of infrastructure and things that run, and connect and are connected via the internet. I mean, you're basically by, by doing all of your client interactions over Skype or, or whatever else, right? Like that, right. Just, that's just a, it's an example of that in practice, I think. So yeah. I could see how that could, um, how that could even be almost a selling point for your business. Yeah. And I think, um, I guess the last point I wanted to mention, uh, about clients and about resources, because as you could imagine being in a small town, it's not just how do you get leads? It's how do you get talent, right? Mm -hmm. And and so one of the things that it's really easy to do when you live in a small agricultural town or probably in your town too is you kind of adopt the, the mindset or the stereotype of the town that is popular. And here kind of the popular stereotype is there's nothing in Klamath Falls. There's no real culture. There's, there's no real talent. You have to go to the big city. And that's a pretty dangerous stereotype. What I've found is that if you open your eyes and you start really listening to people, everywhere you go in every city, there are people from all over the world who have stumbled there and, and are there doing oftentimes really interesting things. Um, I have found that from a very small town near us, there was a, a guy who uh, worked right alongside with Obi um, and started the ThoughtWorks Rails Consultancy, worked there for 10 years. Hmm. Um, I, here in my little town at the coffee shop, I found an ex-thought worker who was interested in, in being an agile coach. I couldn't have found that in a larger city very easily, but I found it in my town. And that changed my mindset as to who was here. So I'm much more open uh, to sort of are, are there great resources or even great customers here locally um, that I am missing because I have a stereotype against it. Right. Where you assume all of your clients who, I mean, you do Python work predominantly. So you, you imagine a lot of your clients who would hire Python developers are um, going to be in places that actually know what Python is. But right. I think, As well, we do mobile development. So same with building an app or something. Right. But I mean, again, um, the more you kind of, I imagine you don't, when you meet with a local potential customer, say some <laughs> business that needs software, yes. you're not going to be selling Python. You're going to be selling that kind of end benefit. And I'm, I'm sure the business doesn't even care that you're using Python. You know, they, they don't. They, they just want, they just want the better workflow or the reduced, right. you know, reduced operational costs or whatever. Right. right? We, so. we recently did a, an intranet for a hospital and they, they were like, we don't care what it's built in. You know, <laughs> I mean, and, and we've done mobile site, we've done, um, sorry, uh, mobile applications for uh, medical clinics and they're like, yeah, whatever is fine. Um, it's the same selling process. Probably I'm more sensitive to local clients to vet them because I've gotten my share of calls where somebody you'll say, oh, this is the amount for the website. I remember one in particular was a gal who called and she said, I need a website where I can sell my stuff. And I said, well, that might start around, let's just call it 30 or 50K or whatever the thing is. And she goes, oh my gosh, I'm not looking for target.com. I don't know that. 
And well, that's I, probably where you come in with Shopify's recommendation or yeah, something, I imagine, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's my favorite. We use that internally as sort of our, let's make sure we don't have somebody who thinks they're going to get Target.com, you know? <laughs> right, right. So uh, I'm probably a little a little more sensitive to that. Okay, so you talked um, at the beginning, you talked not only about, so we covered how you kind of do the, your on-the-ground approach for business development mm-hmm. and you draw them back to Climate Falls. Now, you mentioned how when you kick off a project, you do an on-site. Right. Um, and you bake that into your costs. So mm-hmm. um, I personally, I found that to be something that I would charge for um, because, well, later on, earlier on, I didn't charge for it. Later on, I did because I realized I'm delivering value there. Mm-hmm. But um, how do you, so when you, when you go on-site to somebody, and I've done a lot of these. I've gone to Tokyo for an on-site. I've done been in San Francisco a, a billion times to do that. Yeah. What is your typical, is the expectation that you're meeting this one time and you're going to, you know, you're going to go to dinner with the new client and kind of uh, get to know them outside of the, the project. So you actually have some sort of personal connection that, you know, when you do your weekly meetings or whatever, you have that kind of anchor, right? Yes. Um, so that's, that's one thing that I would, you know, this is typical. Like I learned this at when working for a ad agency, like the whole, it sounds bad, but the whole wining and dining aspect where you get to know your clients outside of a, um, a professional relationship, you know? So if you're going to an onsite in San Francisco, take your clients to dinner, spend money on them, look at it as a cost of doing business and, um, get to know them. Right. And then you do your onsite. So I guess my question to you is when you go back to Klamath Falls, is the expectation that you'll have some sort of that is that the extent of your in-person meeting? Like, will you ever go back? I mean, I could see for future projects with them. Yes, you mm-hmm. would go back, but do you have any sort of you know on-site exit or anything like that? Is there any expectation that you need some sort of permanent on-site uh, or not permanent, but um, pseudo permanent on-site? Yeah, you know, in order for it to be a successful project. Um, you know, typically, so you're right. There, there is, uh, we go down under the guise of discovery. The cost is baked in. We charge for the travel and all that. Um, so we're talking a lot about the project at hand and the discovery story carding session. Uh, there's always social meals, coffee, breakfast. There's always those other things where we're showing them they're important to us you know, through our time and through spending time and money on them and communicating that. Um, The other thing is we do try and go to either Portland or San Francisco quarterly. And when we go down, we'll literally hit up every one of our clients and just bring them a cup of coffee and stop in and say hi. And you do that two or three times and all of a sudden they get the feeling like you're around. Like maybe they haven't seen you in a couple of months, but um, A, you're you're a phone call away and B, you're making it your problem to stay in touch. You're going uh, out of your way uh, and sort of like like an old friend. You know, whenever I'm in town, I'm going to stop in and see you. Uh, and that strategy has worked pretty well. And it causes those conversations that are sometimes difficult to uh, get over the phone where you're just making a call and saying, how are you doing? People will think, you know, are you trying to sell me something? But if you're just stopping in to say, hey, with a cup of, their, with a cup of coffee for them, it leads to a much more natural discussion of how's the business and what's working and what's not. And sort of those exploratory questions that lead you to be helpful. Right. And that's, I, I used to call it making the rounds, right? Yeah. So we had a lot of San Francisco clients and I would, um, whenever we go to kick off a new client, I would make it, 
um, even for clients we haven't worked with in a while, mm-hmm. I would just go back and ask them to breakfast or coffee or even yeah. dinner. And um, again, it, it's kind of that, that, you know, the, the long tail relationship building ends up, uh, you know, that, that one coffee meeting, think about this, spend coffee or spend money on a cup of coffee and maybe a, a you know, a donut or whatever for them. Right. Um, that could be enough that puts you back at the forefront of their mind that then when they're thinking of, you know, who are we going to hire for this next project or, you know, when a friend of theirs or a peer needs a project done, I mean, you're back at the front of the queue and that could, that $10 purchase could be enough to land you a pretty big contract. Absolutely. And the other thing I try and do, um, and I'm trying to do more of this, but it's the idea of intentionally taking time and, um, and sort of thinking about my client and then finding interesting information on the web, be it a link or an article or a PDF, and sending it off to them. And just under the guise of saying, uh, hey, I found this. Like the other day I found something on the HBR website that one of our clients could I thought would would find really interesting around uh, the value, determining the value in uh, sort of your company. And I sent it off to them. And they were like, oh, great. This is great. Thank you. So there's this sense of, wow, Marcus is thinking of me even when he's not here, even though this has nothing to do with my immediate project, he clearly has a sense for what my long-term or bigger picture goals are. And he's interested in helping me with those by sending me information. And all of these people are swamped. They're all busy. So sending them a little bit of content that you find um, that's really good, uh, I, I think will also yield good results. But That's contextual and relevant for them. Yeah, but right. it is something that I find has to be done intentionally, um, and, and I'm trying to create a system by where, as I stumble upon those things, I categorize it and send them off to people on a semi-monthly basis. Yeah, that's smart. I mean, you could. Um, I know I advocate that people um, even come up with a uh, client newsletter that is not like pictures of you around the office and <laughs> stuff like that, but but instead stuff that. Um, can provide value at least to a, a segment of your client base. Like your, yeah. the startups you work with are not going to care about the same thing that that hospital is going to care about, right? right. So, um, but it, it, it's enough that even if it's a newsletter of one, you know, it's still we're ta- we're not talking about twenty dollar ebooks. We're talking about you know twenty thousand plus dollar projects. So, it, I think it's definitely worth your while. Absolutely, that's that's a great idea. Um, and and so really, what I've been amazed is. Uh, I mean, I, I like to tell people that I, in the worst economy in, you know, 25 years, I started a business in the middle of nowhere doing something that I was not an expert in and, and, uh, uh, which sounds bad. I was an expert in programming, but had never, this sounds terrible. We started building flash sites backed by Drupal because we thought business owners would want to edit their own content. And we found out really quickly business owners have no time to edit their own content. Um, so one of the things I also wanted to bring up was um, we actually started and we stayed small for a long time. And there's real blessings in staying small. In fact, I'm writing a blog post on it right now. Um, everybody seems to want to grow and to leave their day job and to get more and more and more. But what we found was when there were two or three of us, the partners, and we had to work Creo as a side job uh, from 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. and from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m., it was a lot of hard work, but it gave us a tremendous ability to recover from mistakes. It gave us a tremendous ability because our, our livelihood wasn't on the line to um, 
to always do the right thing for the client, uh, to be able to make business ethics and client relationships number one. And uh, I really look back on those days when we were really small and we weren't as concerned about price. Uh, I look back on those things really, really fondly because uh, I think we, it allowed us to learn a lot in a really safe way. Right. Um, so that's sort of my take on, on growth, I guess, is, is uh, it, it's easy to imagine you want to get bigger, bigger, bigger. But if you're small, enjoy that time of being small. Uh, because if you're good, it's not going to last very long. No, and I, I mean, what I, what I really want, uh, a lot of the people listening to this are independent. They're freelancers. Yeah. And, you know, you take a very, dare I say, humble approach to business development where, you know, you're, you're exchanging value and occasionally you're getting um, – value in return, right? And the value being, uh, payments and yeah, <laughs> but, um, but I, I just think that, you know, it's refreshing to hear that. I mean, this is a lot of what you're saying is are things that frankly, I, I built my business on, I built my business on, um, building up those relationships and not always expecting for an immediate payoff or anything like that. And, um, but what really impresses me is you bootstrapped a company, you know, at one point that had 11 employees, I had 10 employees. I know what it costs to run a company like that. Yep. Um, you're remote, you 17,000 people. And I've talked to a lot of, a lot of people, both over my newsletter and just in, in general who they might say, Hey, you know, I, I live in, uh, Des Moines, Iowa, or maybe that's a big city by now. I don't know, but you know, <laughs> someplace that in my mind is the middle of nowhere. Right. And they wonder, um, do I need to move? Do I need to, you know, move to San Francisco or do I need to, you know, go to New York or something? And I think what, what the big takeaway of this is you want to move temporarily and go to these places and go to the conferences and meet the people and, and do the legwork and do the, the, I mean, it, it, it's, it's not, you can't just send out a bunch of email and expect results. You, you need to put effort into it. You need to put effort into that relationship cultivation, but the fact that you've gone to 11 employees and I know probably what your, uh, expense, your payroll might've looked like at that scale. Sure. Um, that's a lot of projects that need to come in. And the fact that you've done that from literally the middle of nowhere, Oregon, I mean, that's impressive to me. And that's again, why I wanted to bring you on. So I thank you. Thank you. And, um, where can people learn more about you? Um, they can either go to creoagency.com, which is our company, or marcusblankenship.com, which is my uh, personal blog. Okay, great. Or they can email me at marcus at creoagency.com. Uh, as, a, as a fundamentally helpful person, I like to think. I'd love to hear feedback on what's working and what's not. Um, and I guess I, if we're going to sort of part out here, what I'd like to say is uh, just to the folks out there who are wondering if they can make the jump, to be their own boss and be a consultant or a freelancer, absolutely you can. It doesn't matter where you live. Um, being willing to uh, to help people and uh, do the right thing, uh, the good the good work will come to you. Excellent. Well, Marcus, thank you again so much, and um, we will be chatting on the masterclass list. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Okay. So this wraps up episode number 11 of the podcast. I wanted to fill you in on a bit about what I've been working on. Um, by the time this ships, I should have just launched my latest course. It's on Skillshare.com. Uh, the course is on value-based proposal writing. So how do you write proposals that are tied to the value you're delivering to your client? And um, more importantly, how do you get these proposals to close? 
So if you're interested, it's actually my most, my, the, the least expensive product I offer, and I'm actually dropping the ball completely when it comes to value-based pricing. Although don't blame me, blame Skillshare. I think their maximum price is $25. So it's $20. Um, if you go to Skillshare.com and search for freelancing, I should be right at the top. Um, it's over an hour of content, video content, and I think you're going to really enjoy it. But um, so next week, I want to tell you about, about what uh, what you can expect. So um, two people, uh, Jan and Jonathan, uh, respectively, are going to be joining me. Uh, Jan is in Bangkok, Thailand and runs a consultancy. Uh, Jonathan is in Colombia, I believe. And his consultancy actually has 85 employees. And we're going to be talking about how you can build up a um, either a freelancing business or a consulting business uh, from overseas, you know, from Southeast Asia or South America or wherever you are and work with Western clients. Most of their clients are American. So uh, you'll want to stay tuned. And I look forward to uh, releasing that next podcast uh, in about a week.